Good morning, everyone. As our first reading, the prophet uh, was known for his tenacity at going after the government of his time, along with the people. Uh, in particular, his concern were uh, the treatment of those who are marginalized and poor, and they were being taken advantage of. And uh, he goes on to say, you wait for the Sabbath to be over so you can go back to your foolishness. In our times, uh, you count until 9.30 when you can leave Mass and go back to foolishness, meaning the way you act and speak. And, and uh, heaven forbid that any of our disciples in this parish would leave Mass and go directly into the parking lot and start gossiping. You'd be surprised how people like to tattle on others to the pastor with detail, too, which I don't need. <laughs> And my friend, St. Paul, uh, Paul is saying, our Lord wants no one to be lost. All sinners are to be saved, and you are to pray for them. And you do so without hatred in your heart, without being angry at them. So he says, please pray for others. And so we do. We offer our Mass, and we offer prayers of the faithful, the general prayers of the faithful. We pray for others, uh, and we do so with love, not with hatred. In our hearts and not condemning. Uh, we make judgments about behaviors, um, whether they're not so good or good, uh, but we need to be careful. But Paul says, please pray. And in particular, uh, Paul says, please pray for the people of the government. And that's what he was saying. And in particular, when he wrote this, he was talking about the government officials. So we pray for our elected officials uh, from top to bottom, president down all the way down, and, uh, as the first reading would uh, imply, as does St. Paul, there should be no duplicity within them. So we pray, again, without hatred in our hearts, but we pray for them, uh, that they will come to their senses, all of them, and begin to do what is right uh, for the people and to walk with integrity and justice. It's very difficult in this world. I'm not saying it's easy. It's difficult. So we pray for them. Um, my friends, um, in our gospel, the word mammon is an Aramaic word um, referring to a type of worship. Mammon was the name of a Syrian god. Jesus knows this, and he's using it. It was the idol, the golden calf that you might remember, the Hebrews uh, built and uh, worshipped during the exodus from Egypt in the promised land, Exodus chapter 32. You can read about this. Jesus uses it to put forth the teaching for his disciples about idols, in particular, how money can become one. Many Christians seem confused about what the Bible puts forth about money and wealth. It has been said that the Bible condemns money as the root of all evil, but that is not exactly what it says. St. Paul in the Bible says, the love of money is the root of all evils. 1 Timothy chapter 6, line 10. I always back up what I'm saying with Scripture. In context, St. Paul is counseling Timothy on how to deal with the wealthier members of the Christian community of his time. Christians are not to lord it over others and must not so love money uh, that it becomes a god to them in their hearts, uh, leaving no room for Jesus Christ. Paul tells Timothy that some people in their desire for money have strayed from the faith and have 
if you will, pierce themselves with many pains. First Timothy 6, line 10. My friends, money is itself neutral. It's just a medium needed to conduct business, to pay for goods and services and whatnot. Money can be good or bad depending on how we acquire it, what we do with it, and what it does to you. And we've seen and heard stories about what money does to people. For example, recall the parable of the Good Samaritan. Money was used to help someone in need. Or the story of Lazarus outside the doors of a king's palace. The king did not use his wealth or influence whatsoever to help the poor in his kingdom. Certainly not Lazarus. The gospel does not condemn money or the rich or wealth, but it warns of the ease with which money and these things can captivate and enslave the human heart. Money is a very serious matter. The love of money, the great desiring of it, the covetedness of it, the craving of it is a problem. That is what is known as mammon. So when Jesus says you cannot serve God, and mammon. And many folks have clearly made money mammon. It has compromised people in the secular world. It has compromised people within the church. It has clouded the better instincts of nations. It is a very old idol that still wanders the streets of our times, searching for new worshipers and certainly has found them. Christ gave us the principle by which we are to govern ourselves and to deal with money and to deal with wealth. He told us to trust in God in all things and to make the kingdom first and foremost of all things. If we do this, all the other things in life, including money, will fall to its proper place. The key is found, I believe, in Jesus' words as found in Matthew's gospel, Seek first ye the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all the other things will be given to you besides. There's no time frame for that. Jesus said it will be given to you in God's time. Matthew 6, 33. Regarding the dishonest steward in the parable that Jesus used, my friends, I want to quote you something from the Bible. It's a notation about this passage, and I think it's of great relevance for us. All right, Father, all your notes. There it is. Ten pages of notes. Don't worry, I'm not reading all of them. The parable of the dishonest steward has to be understood in the light of the Palestinian custom of agents acting, stewards, acting on behalf of their masters and the particular practices common to such stewards. The dishonesty of the steward consisted in the squandering of his master's property and not in any subsequent graft. Meaning what the king is talking to him about, that's not what he was, he was worried. Obviously the steward was doing something crazy throughout his whole stewardship. Mismanaging, mismanaging would be a good way. The master commends the dishonest steward who has foregone his own commission. So when he writes, he says, sit down, rewrite it. He's taking his commission out of it. He had a right to commission. So he's simply 
asking the people to take out the commission, making your debt to my master smaller. So his own commission on the business transaction uh, by having the debtors write new notes that reflected only the real amount that is owed to the master. The dishonest steward acts in this way in order to ingratiate himself with the debtors because he knows he's going to be fired and he needs a place to live. <laughs> the parable then teaches the prudent use of one's material. So my friends, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is praying, uh, praising the activity of the steward when he takes out his commission and begins with great tenacity going after uh, those people to secure his livelihood in the future. So Jesus is praising the ability of this steward to apprise his own situation, use his acuity in coming up with a solution, and not wavering from the plan that will save his life in the future. And Jesus goes on to say, if my disciples possess similar discipline, not dishonesty, but the ability to think and act and be decisive about their future, eternal life, if they had the same kind of discipline and dedication and determination in their service to God's kingdom, Jesus suggests that each of the disciples would do greater things for God. Jesus' followers should put in the same type of time and effort and determination for their spiritual well-being as the dishonest steward exampled uh, his tenacity towards his physical well-being. Jesus used the example of this steward in the parable because it was relevant in his time, and it still is in our time. So my friends, uh, I know people are like, can you show us a more practical illustration or something? Sure. Something close to the home. If your child becomes seriously ill, a parent will run into the, e, to the emergency department, ER is what it's known, without delay and spare no expense, immediately, and rightly so. But yet, this same child, if that child is endangering their spiritual life because of where they go on the internet, because of the music and movies they watch, because of the particular games they are playing online and with some people, they are slow to take decisive action. You see? What about your car? If it breaks down, you immediately call the dealership immediately and demand that it be repaired. Here's a good one. Your TV stops working. You can't live without it lest your kids drive you crazy. Worse yet, for some of you, heaven forbid you should miss the football game and have to watch it on your little phone. Off you go to Costco immediately. But if our spiritual life is slipping and sliding and straying, how often does one show the same type of discernment and solicitude and action? In fact, many frequently exhibit greater concern over the material things and nonsensical matters than about their spiritual welfare, more about financial bankruptcy rather than being concerned about their spiritual bankruptcy. The parable bids us to take care of our spiritual side of life. It calls for the same, if not more, ingenuity and planning and effort in our spiritual life as we do with all the other sectors of our life. 
our Lord and our soul is more important than these other things. And I think people honestly know this, but they seem to be slow to take action about it. And my friends, in this world, tomorrow is not promised to you. What is promised is eternal life, but not tomorrow. So don't waste your time about tomorrow. Now, do it now. Start doing everything now. Everything is gift from God. If this is true, how you handle it matters. Well, I don't think Jesus cares. Oh, I think he wrote lots of things about it. And even if not, shouldn't you? Shouldn't you care? I can't tell you as priests how many I get that. I don't think Jesus cares about that. Really? Shouldn't you, though, care about it? If you're a disciple of Jesus. Hmm? So, my friends, everything you do and everything you say, all of this is what we call stewardship of time, talent, and treasure. Everything you do and say should be proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to others, as St. Paul says, to win them over. And while the first reading said God will not forget those unrepentant sins, God also does not forget when you do well and do good.